Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 55. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hey. Today we'll be discussing the 11th episode of season 3, Incubator. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Incubator. Scorpius and his team struggle to make a ship that can survive in a wormhole. One of the scientists points out some encrypted data left on the chip, and Scorpius takes the next step of putting the chip in his own head and showing an echo of John his past in order to convince him to decode the data. Scorpius's backstory. That's what this episode is about. And it takes place in his bid to convince the neural bleed of John that he needs the hidden wormhole data that he has in order to have non-gooey peacekeeper pilots as they come out. Because what's been happening is they've been going into the wormhole, there's this weird phase flux thing, and then they come back liquefied. We have to remember, however, that the John on the chip is John from Daimy Dichotomy at the end of Season 2. And at the end of Season 2... His bodily autonomy was taken over by Scorpius, who, or the neural clone of Scorpius, who then killed Aaron. So this John is not really Scorpius's favorite person, and he has suffered greatly at Scorpius's hands. So convincing him is a pretty big task that Scorpius has set himself. Yeah, that's interesting what you said, because uh, now I'm realizing I'd forgotten that this John on this chip doesn't know that Aaron is alive. No, he doesn't. So that means that Scorpius's job is even harder. And I think that Scorpius doesn't even realize how hard his job is. Because like, as he's telling this backstory, you can see John, Ben Browder just like knocks it out of the park here because you can see John is incredibly upset at what happened to Scorpius because John is just an empathetic person. And so he just feels everything that happened to Scorpius but at the same time, he's just so stone-faced because Scorpius has killed the love of his life. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that Scorpius doesn't really realize how much of a bridge there he burned. I mean, not that there really was a bridge to begin <laughs> with, but... Yeah, but any hope that he had had of maybe convincing John that he had a noble cause, because that's kind of what he's going for right here, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, look at my tortured past. The Scarens are so awful. They need to be stopped. And he's trying to build some kind of empathy for himself. And John is just like... No, even though he feels it, he feels the pain is terrible. He feels what Scorpy went through is terrible. But at the same time, you can see from his voice and his his demeanor, as you said, very stone face, that he doesn't want to sympathize with Scorpius. And he doesn't give in to that. Yeah, he definitely doesn't give in. Even as he hates Scorpius, there is still a lot of just, there's just a lot of John Crichton in this echo we kind of have of him because when Scorpius is getting to the point where he's overheating and stuff like that, this John is just like, we need to take a breather, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's, and he could, I think he probably very easily could have pushed Scorpius into overheating past the point of no return. But I think this is still John Crichton. And this is John that number one, doesn't like watching people tortured, but also is just John, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I hadn't thought of that, that he could have actually 
killed Scorpius in that instance, potentially by overheating him or mm-hmm. getting him so worked up, overheating him. That sounds so weird. <laughs> it's like Scorpius is a turkey. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it, it, and it is just kind of in retrospect when you're pointing out that like, this is the John that lost Aaron. But at the same time, every time that Scorpius gets to the point where the nurse is like, we have to pull him out. He's going to die. And... Mm-hmm. John is like, let's take a breather. And then Scorpius gets a chance to like cool down and come within normal range. So, I mean, I know that partially they did that is because you can't just randomly kill your villain. (laughs) You have to have the hero kill your villain. But at the same time, it was just, I I don't know. This is, this episode had a lot going on. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, there's kind of two storylines that take place. We have the one following Scorpius and his adventures in the neural chip. And then we also have a little bit of what's going on on Moya, which does tie in. But why don't we take those storylines one at a time? Okay, great. So the episode begins with the scientists that we met in Losing Time working again on the shield, the shielding of prowlers as they're coming in and out of wormholes. And at first... The one of the scientists is incredibly insistent that they've solved the shielding problem. But when they open the when they open the prowler, the pilot's again liquefied. And I, I kind of want to know why they keep starting with actual pilots instead of with like, <laughs> animals. But. Well, isn't it because like Scorpius is like fed up and angry at people, so he says, "Go take a hike in the prowler that you say is now protected, and we'll test it out on you." Because that's what happened in Losing Time. <laughs> yeah, but I think that this isn't like a pilot that made Scorpius mad. This is just like poor some random pilot. Is, like, because the woman's like, it should have worked. You know, he probably just didn't do it correctly. And Brock is like, well, tell that to captains or tell that to yeah. so-and-so. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I guess from a world-building point of view, it's it goes back to the, the disposability of the grunt soldiers, of the peacekeepers. Yeah. So one of the scientists, whose name is Lynn Fur, is absolutely convinced that her shielding is a way to protect the person inside the person inside the ship from the effects of the wormhole. So she actually convinces everybody that she's going to go do the next run. She volunteers. Yeah. She's like so certain she's willing to put her own life on that line. Yeah. So she's going to go through the wormhole. And in the meantime, the other scientist who is the one that became project leader <laughs> the one who kind of looks like a pig and what's his name strapper jopper strapper 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 okay. <laughs> so the other scientist whose name is strapper comes to scorpius and says there's still this encrypted data on the chip and scorpius is like what encrypted data <laughs> and so he calls a nurse and he calls braca and then he puts the chip in his head <laughs> Mm-hmm. And the landscape within the chip is very different from the landscape inside of John's head. In John's head, as we've seen, we have different costumes, we have different places from John Crichton's past. But in the chip, it's just like this bare area with like mist on the floor. And all it is, is Scorpius and John Crichton on like an empty, think of an empty soundstage, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of atmospheric. And John tries to walk away when he sees that Scorpius has arrived, except when he walks one way, he just loops around and ends up arriving on the other side. So there's no out for John in this area. And so he's basically a captive audience for Scorpius to say, so I'm going to show you my life history so you understand what is at stake here. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it's interesting the way he frames it because this is the John that's super angry. John is like, well, you can't force me to do this. Like, there's no way you can force me to do this. I'm non-corporeal. You know, I don't have a body. You can't do anything to me. And Scorpius is like, okay, I can't, I can't force you, but maybe I can convince you, you mm-hmm. know? And this is like, what's so interesting about this is that's such a John Crichton line. You know, it reminds me back of um, the episode with the Plakovians. Mm-hmm. The Ugly Truth. The Ugly Truth, where it's like, okay, you know, I'm just going to talk to you and I'm going to convince you, you know? Yeah. Well, it's also very characteristic of Scorpius, too. You know, it's not just an echo of John. I mean, it is an echo of John, but it's not just that. Because Scorpius, as we've mentioned several times, is like the silver-tongued peacekeeper leader. Mm-hmm. Like, he convinces different soldiers to turn on Crace. He can, you know, he talks his way into command of Crace's carrier, basically. He has his own task force to look into wormholes as a hybrid, you know, it's like he has been able to talk himself into many, many different situations and not just use the brute force that he does use when he has it as his disposal. Mm -hmm. But it's also very characteristic of Scorpius. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I also want to point out a motif that we're going to see throughout this episode, which is right as he is going in, And he's put the chip, he actually puts the chip in his cooling rod case because Farscape magic, apparently, (laughs) whatever. And then as he's going under, we pan to see a bird of paradise flower. This is a earth plant, or it looks identical to an earth plant at least. And just keep that in mind. And I'm just going to drop that there. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. So we get the introduction to Scorpius's backstory and remember since he's in the neural chip there's it's a full body sensory experience and scorpius is like my first memory is the first 12 hours of my life is one of pain the first 12 years 12 years of his life sorry and so scorpius shows john his first memory and it's the first 12 years of his life are just pure pain because he was Basically, in this one room on this cell, it's too hot. He has heat delirium because he's sedation, and he has one person who comes in who's a scarin, who is the person who, A, takes care of him, and B, tortures him and tells him things like, you have to be strong. Sit up. You didn't sit up fast enough, so she pushes him down. And so it's this constant torture that he's lived through during his formative years. And it's kind of brutal to watch. Like, it, it totally is something that's pretty horrible. And you're like, no child, not even Scorpius, should have had to live through any of this. But it is what what started him on his path. Mm-hmm. And part of his indoctrination and education is the Scarin woman, uh, scientist, leader. I don't think I remember her name. Her name is Tauza. Tauza. That's right. So Tauza, we see, teaches him about Scarens and Sebations and why Sebations are inferior. And she tells him that, you know, a Sebation man raped a Scaren woman and that's what you were the product of. So basically all this propaganda about the peacekeepers and Sebations meant to make Scorpius feel terrible about his Sebation half. Mm-hmm. She wants him to identify a Scarin. She wants him to be strong like a Scarin. She's pushing the, the Scarin's worldview onto him. Mm-hmm. And and that's where we start with him. Yeah. And it is interesting to see Scorpius in these moments because he, first of all, he doesn't have his black 
BDSM outfit, which kind of as an audience is not only how you identify him as a villain, because like, I'm sorry, but like all black, you know, (laughs) all black leather, you're kind of like, okay, automatic visualization of evil. But at the same time, it is a protection. And so the Scorpius we see, his skin just looks very sensitive. His skin, you know, they did a really good job with the makeup because he just looks like this really helpless, mewling, weak creature. And that's not the Scorpius that we've come to know. So in a lot of ways, I think even though John's reaction is kind of like, I don't really want to see this. This is horrible. And then also at the same time kind of being like, it's horrible, but it changes nothing in his opinion of Scorpius. As an audience, you're like, it is hard to watch even a character you dislike being so viciously treated as a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely appears and is dressed as a victim of mm-hmm. this situation and not as Sunny One in control at all. But because it's Scorpius, he is, of course, very smart and he realizes a couple things over the course of his years. One is that his hybrid nature gives him this ability to see energy signatures. So I don't know if you remember way back in what, The Hidden Memory, when he captures John on the Gamic base back in the end of season one, he can tell that John is not Sebation just by looking at him. And that's, I think, tied into his ability to see different energy signatures, which means he can also see people lying to him. Mm-hmm. And so he realizes that Tauza has been lying to him about his uh, his heritage and about a lot of things about the peacekeepers and Sebations. And so he bides his time. And I'm going to play a little clip here that talks about what happens next. Tauza lied about the peacekeepers. I'll have to take your word for that. Oh, she lied. Which only made me more determined to discover the truth about my parentage. Of course, to do that, I had to escape. I feigned obedience. Over time, she grew careless. But I did not. Unfortunately, my education included basic technology. I'd often watch Tarza operate the controls, dragging up data for my lessons. And I have an excellent memory. So it wasn't difficult to gain information about my prison. Which turned out to be a scattered dreadnought. I was passing through a neutral system. I jumped ship in an evacuation board and hit out on a commerce planet. And you lived happily ever after. Is this fairy tale over with yet? Everything I've shown you is true. No doubt. Scorpio, the teenage hero, outwits the Scarens, makes it look easy. You going for pity or applause? Neither. So that is the great escape of Scorpius from the Scaran Dreadnoughts. So Scaran Dreadnoughts are the Scarens' giant ships. And what I love about this little bit is like when you hear John's sarcasm about little fairy tale and the you know the teenage. A wonder kid who escapes single-handedly and makes it look easy. It really does point out that that Scorpius is a hero of his own story. And yes, it might all be true, but it is a little bit like, oh, I was starving and tortured, and I still was able to get out and and become you know a great hero. I don't know. I just like that little contrast of pointing out that that you know he's <laughs> kind of like the center of a young adult novel, mm-hmm. but playing it straight like yeah this is what happened to me and i am smart enough and and competent enough even at a young age to take what i had learned and apply it to getting out of the cell and figuring out where i was 
Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I like that phrasing of he's the hero of his own story. John's sarcasm here is is really pointing at the fact that, okay, so you escaped from a really bad situation, but my first interaction with you is you doing exactly the same thing to me, is you torturing mm-hmm. me and, you know, you being cruel to me. So, you know, it, it is... It is interesting to kind of like look look at this from John's perspective because here's Scorpius is and he's like, ooh, if I reveal my tragic backstory, then soft-hearted earthling John Crichton is sure to give in, you know? And, at the, and John is kind of like, you're literally the one that took away from me the ability to do that. You know, you're the mm-hmm. one like – I think John's not descent really into darkness, but his his hardening is due so much to Scorpius that I think that if Scorpius had told this to season one, John, or even the John in the hidden nerve and the hidden memory, you know, Scorpius tells this story to John in nerve and the hidden memory. And John is like, okay, sure. Here's the information. You know, yeah, that sounds awful. Take it. But John has had so much time to grow from that from being tortured that he's just kind of like end (laughs) (laughs) you lived happily ever after yeah i like that point that that early season one john or even hidden memory john would have been much more open to this kind of convincing and this kind of persuasion Mm -hmm. Uh, getting back to scorpius's own story though i also find it interesting that he's driven by figuring out who his parents are It's a very classic orphan storyline, figuring out who your parents are, where you came from. And I don't know, I just I just like it. Again, it's also a very young adult kind of kind of storyline. Yeah, I don't really have anything profound to say about it other than, you know, figuring out who you are from where you came from. Mm -hmm. His whole kind of life has been about his parentage, though, because the Scarin, she constantly drills it into him. Why are you weak? Because you're, you know, and he has to answer because I'm Sebation. And, you know, she's like, and why are you Sebation? Because a Sebation raped my mother, you know, and it's just this, this is kind of like really visceral thing. And I think one of the things that we're not really addressing, but that this, and that this episode doesn't really address <laughs> is this kind of rape and violation and forced birthing which is a little more complicated, I think, than the episode kind of makes it. Because forced rape in the course of, is, is often a war crime. And this episode just kind of constantly inverts and reverts it. And I think in a kind of awkward way, because initially we're supposed to believe that Scorpius's mother was Scarin and his father was a Sebation who raped her. Then we find out that it was actually uh, Scarin who raped a Salvation woman, and it's just kind of, I, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I just do know that, like, yeah, when I'm thinking about it after the fact, it is kind of an awkward thing that it deals with, you know? Well, it's a very awkward thing, and I think part of the struggle is this is a TV show written in the late 90s, early aughts. It's done as a very classically written rape trope, right? You have yeah. you have a woman, a Salvation woman, who's not just raped, she is a prisoner and raped for science. Like, she is a science experiment. Scorpius is a science experiment. Ninety other Salvation women were forcibly impregnated, and they had offspring that didn't survive. Scorpius is the one that survived, right? You, you said war crimes, and that's absolutely true, because we have two basically 
enemy combatants mm. trying to go after each other and this Sebastian woman Scorpius's mother is caught in the middle as a prisoner who is then forced to carry to term a child that was forced upon her. And I think the vocabulary of how we think about rape maybe it hasn't changed but maybe I'm just more aware of it or you know it is one of those really tricky things. Yeah, and I think that I think that you're right about maybe the vocabulary having changed because I think that when Tauza is initially talking about it, she's like, a Sebastian man raped a Scarin woman. And so then the violation is upon the Scarins. It's like this, the rape is upon the Scarins. So the Sebastians are like the aggressor. And then it's like, we find out like, oh no, the scare from the Sebastian side, it's like a Scarin raped a Sebastian. I think my discomfort is that in this episode, women's bodies are kind of being used as like, this signal for Scorpius's own violation somehow it's kind of like I, I don't I don't know it's just I think that the weird inversion just kind of made me uncomfortable because on the one hand you understand that like Tauza is kind of like okay so if a you know if it was a Scarin that was raped then he'll be more on our side because clearly sedations are evil but I'm like you're literally being like super evil to him and torturing him nonstop <laughs> like I don't understand the purpose of number one like doing this whole rape fiction to begin with and not just saying we created you because you're right. supposed to be stronger do you know what i mean like like treating yeah. it that way instead of I, I don't know it was it was just an interesting narrative choice and i think you're right that if it had been written today maybe the language around the use of rape as kind of a plot device has definitely changed yeah, that's not to say that they would have done it better today because television today hasn't actually progressed that much. <laughs> but yeah. I think there's an audience, the way we react to it has changed. Yeah. So, yeah, I understand your discomfort. It, I guess maybe the other part of it is it feels simplistic. Yes. Like it feels like it's very flattened and simplistic. So the way that Scorpius finds out about this inversion, that it was the the Scarens who raped his mother, is he ends up after the Commerce Planet and a trip to the Diagnosian because he shows up at the Peacekeepers, turns himself over in his prototype of his heat-regulating suit. And it looks very much like his modern-day one, except his cooling rods are basically in a backpack that he carries around with him, kind of like somebody carrying their oxygen around with them. So you can tell it's an early prototype. In exchange for intelligence on the Scarens, he gets information about his parents, who were uh, the survivors of a, a ship of colonists that were attacked by the Scarens, and they were the only survivors. And his father was left dead, and his mother survived. And so that's how he learns about what happened. Well, like his mother's husband was left dead because yeah. his father is still a scarin, right. which we kind of see like the rape on screen, but like not really. And I'm kind of like, I don't think that was necessary. <laughs> <laughs> well, we see her tied up. And that's why I'm saying it's like it's a science experiment rather than just random soldier raping a random sebation, right? Yeah. Like she is clearly has her, she's in this metal cage kind of contraption, not cage, but like her arms are tied down, her neck is tied down. We don't see her lower half. We don't see the actual rape on screen because it's sci-fi channel, PG, whatever. But it's very clearly implied that that's what's going on. Yeah. So Scorpius goes to find his mother, whose name is Relani Jima Delus. And I'm like, cool. Thank you for giving her a name. That was awesome. <laughs> Actually, no, I mean, I'm not even being a little bit sarcastic. I'm being very serious that like, 
at least that moves her from being just literally a set piece <laughs> to like having a name. <laughs> so he goes to see the pod where his mother landed on the planet with her with her husband. And as he's walking up to it, again, we see another bird of paradise flower. And he goes inside and is captured again by Tauza. Right. The pod was kind of left as a trap for him. And so he's taken back and tortured once again. And this one's a little bit more, it is as brutal as the earlier ones, but I don't know. There's something about seeing Scorpius who has regained or gained some autonomy and he has his, you know, he's found a way to cope with the, the, the contrast between his scare and heat loving side and his sebation hate, heat hating side. And she like pulls the cord off of his cooling pack. And it just feels like kicking someone out of their wheelchair. Like he is disabled functionally, you know, by mm -hmm. his nature. And it's just, I don't know. I had a kind of a kick in the gut kind of moment when that happened. And then she's turning on the heat lamps on him and torturing him again. And, you know, mm -hmm. wanting to punish him for leaving and all that good stuff that goes along with torture. And this is where we kind of go back to the interaction between John and Scorpius and also with the nurse and Bracca, who are in real life standing next to Scorpius's bed monitoring him. And I wanted to play this, this little clip that kind of captures all of that. So it's going to be a little muddled. Sorry about that. But really kind of gets at Scorpius and especially at Bracca's relationship with him. It's time to bring him out of it. No. The readings are now critical. What he's trying to achieve is even more critical. He'll survive. Tell me. All right, all right, enough already. Scorp, take five. Apologies, John, apologies. Always easy to get lost in one's memories. Readings are back with intolerance. He survived. He always survives. That's true. I will stop now. For the moment. And I, I just think that, that that refrain of he's a survivor, he will survive, he always survives, is just so integral to Scorpius and who he is, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, it's just so Braca too, because it's like, Braca has in a lot of ways really tied himself to Scorpius. And just this moment of of him being like, he survives, he always survives. It can be read a couple of ways. Either Braca is just at that point where he believes Scorpius is essentially unharmable, you know, <laughs> and that Scorpius will survive anything. And so it's okay for Braca to tie his ship to Scorpius because Scorpius is invulnerable. Or <laughs> it's also a man who is with somebody who he doesn't know how to get away from. And he's kind of at the point where he's like, he survives. He always survives. <laughs> because... <laughs> There's no way for, for Braca really to escape. Yeah. Well, I think it's also interesting because he's also framing it as the information that Scorpius is going after is so important to the project that we have to let him follow through on it and we can't break him from that mission that he has. So it's very much a Scorpius has this mission. I'm going to support him in this mission, 
no matter what the cost, because he is strong enough to take it. That might be a third interpretation you could take yeah. from it. Yeah, that's true. Because now that now that Braca has the backstory of knowing why their mission is so critical, now he is completely on Scorpius' side as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like Braca, who Scorpius trusts, and we see it in the later scene that we'll play in a minute, but continues to trust to make sure that his mission is fulfilled. Yeah. Of getting the wormhole tech, beating the Scarens. Mm-hmm. So you can also hear there that John is the one that talks Scorpy down from just completely succumbing again to heat delirium. And in that memory, after he's being tortured, Tauza again comes to him and is like, I don't know why you're siding with Sebastian. Sebastians are weak. Let me show you how weak they are. And she shows Scorpius the recording of his mother who is begging for help and instead is forcibly impregnated. And then Scorpius is like, oh, I'm going to be sick. And he runs over to the toilet and then he grabs two of his cooling rods and then shoves them straight into Tauza's eyes. Which is one of the vulnerable parts, one of the very few vulnerable parts of a Scarin, because mm-hmm. their skin is very thick. Because their skin is so tough. So Scorpius is able to get out of the room and lock her in the room. And then he's able to get word to the peacekeeper captain that he was friends, or not really friends with, but the captain was actually fairly friendly towards him. Yeah, I mean, he was working with him. He's the one who he turned all his information over to. Yeah. But I think it was also, it, I think that just this, the captain's attitude towards Scorpius was fairly friendly. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't, yeah. he wasn't being your usual peacekeeper, you know, everything non-Sebastian is lower than me <laughs> attitude, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, he knew the story behind Scorpius's parentage. So maybe that turned him towards, you know, a little bit of sympathy towards him. Yeah, that's true. So Scorpius is able to contact this captain, the captain comes, they're able to destroy the Scarin carrier, and then Scorpius joins the peacekeepers. <laughs> mm-hmm. And at this point, we're getting closer and closer to the encoded information in the chip. And this is kind of the, the moment where Scorpius has laid it all on the line. This is like his backstory has been told. Is it enough to convince John? And here's the conversation that follows as he, as he makes his closing pitch to John Crichton in his head. Through faithful service, I quickly advanced in rank and created a special task force to develop wormhole technology. Sweet move. Join the army, get them to pay for your pet project. You think I want wormholes to betray peacekeepers and to conquer the universe myself? I don't want power. I want revenge. <sighs> I want to wipe out the Scadans before they wipe us out. My people, yours, your friends, everyone you care about. I've already lost people I care about because of you. Where is my revenge, Scorpy? I've done what I thought necessary. You're entitled to despise me for it, but nonetheless, you and I have a common enemy, Scarrens. Plan to exterminate the Sabatians, but they won't stop there. Nor with Luxons, Delvians, Bannocks, or a thousand other lower life form, they'll stop when they are the only sentient species left. And if they discover wormhole technology before we do, the galaxy is theirs. And eventually, John, they will find Earth. Your race is defenseless. 
raped and slaughtered unless you help us. What I find interesting there, and that's from John's point of view, when John says, where's my revenge? I've already lost people. Mm-hmm. That's the point where it's, I feel like it's really clear that he's talking about Aaron specifically, that the people I have loved and lost at your hands just happened to me. And I am not going to forgive that easily or at all. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that Scorpius here also kind of being like, I want revenge. But then he kind of tempers it by being like, but I also want to save the universe, you know? And then that's kind of, I think that that's, that's where we're getting at. Again, Scorpius not seeing himself as a villain. Scorpius not seeing himself as a pawn in this long game of war between the Scarens and the Sebations. Scorpius kind of seeing himself as like, I can save the universe by giving this other evil group (laughs) unbelievable power. Well, if you think about it from his point of view, I mean, he's the superhero of his own people, right? Think about his origin story. He's got mixed parentage. He's got the superpower of seeing energy region, regions or energy signatures and being extremely smart, being extremely technical savvy. He saved himself from his own torture twice, not just once, but twice. He's got the cooling suit, which isn't quite like a superpower thing, but you know, it gives him this mystique to himself. And then you have his mission, which is, as he puts it to John, is save the universe and then maybe get some revenge kind of on the side because that's the way he's framing it. Even though clearly for him, revenge is is essential to that. But for John, he's coding it in your friends and family are going to die. We can save them, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to really make that make it personal for John Crichton so that he's like, okay, yeah, despite all the things you've done to me, I really want to save my planet. I really want to save all the people I love, except this is where Scorpius doesn't quite get the depth of the harm he's already done to John. Yeah. You know, so his his fervent pitch about saving the universe and being being the hero not that he thinks he is the hero i think he does well he thinks he's the hero but he doesn't think he's himself as heroic yeah maybe that's the way to put it because he is willing to torture he is willing to kill he is willing to have petty feelings drive him to tell a um a a sebation pilot to you know get in that prowler if you think it's going to be so safe (laughs) you know (laughs) Like his disregard for individual life is so blatant and so reminiscent of the peacekeeper part of the culture that he's part of, you know, from the outside, it's very clear that he might think he likes the greater good, but in practice, he's not very good at saving people. Yeah. I think you're right that for him, the revenge is more critical than the saving everybody else. Yeah, he might couch it as like, well, I want to save everybody with Braca and with John. But I think that his actions prove that to him, what's way more important is him proving the Scarens wrong. Because Ta- mm-hmm. one of the things Tauza says to him is like, you know, you were the only one that survived and you proved to us that there's no use for Sebation Sebation Scaran hybrids that they're completely worthless and so I think that part of it is him kind of trying to be like I am worthy I'm going to give your enemies the most powerful weapon that's ever been created in mm-hmm. in wormhole tech and so I don't know I think there's just like a lot going on there like I think it's pride yeah. and I think it's revenge against the Scarans 
Yeah, no, I think that's spot on right there, what you just said. And it's just like a reminder that the harm we suffer in childhood carries over into adulthood and she can shape the fate of two huge, what, combatant species, enemies, Mm -hmm. this war that's coming. Yeah, so I think that's perfect that you put it just right. Yeah. So during this last moment, the coded wormhole tech is kind of spiraling around in that like ancient way of information, you know, where where it's, you know, you can't really read it. It's really, it's going really fast and it's kind of in this spiral pattern. It looks like a Gordian knot kind of thing is what I had in my head as the analogy. Yeah. Like a big ball of string, except it's, it's lights, a hologram of equations. (laughs) And... John grabs it in his hand and essentially he tells Scorpius, thanks for the story, <laughs> but no. And then also um, he he quotes what the ancient said to John, which is, if you can't figure this out for yourself, then you're probably not ready to have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we find out that John and the chip is not going to forgive Scorpius. He's not going to let him have this information. And then Scorpius ends up getting overheated. He's angry and he comes out out of the chip. And in real life, the nurse in the meantime has tried to bring him out early. Braca has prevented her by punching her out because he's like, we need to have this information. And so when Scorpius does finally come out, he's overheating. His his cooling rods pop out and Braca, good Braca, has burned his fingers changing the schooling rods for Scorpius. So dedicated, like he's putting himself into harm's way for him. And in the end, Scorpius does get something out of it because he has a really good memory and he's able to recite some of the equations that he saw. They're not full equations, they're partial equations, but the uh, strapper, the scientist that the project leads, thinks that they can use that to work, to continue their work forward on the wormhole project. Mm-hmm. Then Braca and Scorpius have a conversation at the end of the episode. And yet again, I think there's I think there's a couple of ways to read Braca and Scorpius' relationship, and I think we'll talk about both of them after this clip. <laughs> Sir. Cybernetic section verifies the neurochip circuits were destroyed by the heat. It doesn't matter. We may now have the data we need. Will that be also? For the moment. Lieutenant. Your recent performance has been exemplary. Thank you, sir. I was concerned that I made the wrong decision. And Nurse Froy made the wrong decision. Yours was correct in the circumstances. Thank you, sir. I hope my conduct continues to find favor. Okay. (laughs) So there are people, I'm not saying I'm one of them, but I'm also not saying I'm not, (laughs) who kind of see Scorpio and Braca's relationship as like way more, you know, BDSM than like, because it really does, especially in this moment, feel like a sexless kind of, master-servant relationship. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like Braca is the loyal servant who is going to do everything that his master wants in wanting to have favor from him, mm-hmm. as he says at the end there. But still kind of like doubting his choices. He still wants to make sure he did the right thing. So it's his 
own self-worth, his own feelings about himself, really, it feels like it's based on Scorpius's approval. Yeah. Yeah. And not just in like your normal, you know, captain, lieutenant, or command. What is Scorpius? Commander? Uh, Commander probably of some sort. I mean, he's the science branch, so it's a little bit... He's not like captain of the command carrier, but he had a command carrier for a little while because he stole graces or was gifted graces. Yeah. We'll have to actually look up his <laughs> his actual <laughs> ranking. But so it isn't... It, let me put it this way. Even when Grace was actually having sex with one of his underlings, it felt a lot different than this relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this definitely... And I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm against it. Because I find their relationship to be one of the more interesting relationships going on on the series. But still, there is something really kinky about the way that (laughs) Bracca says, I hope I continue to find favor. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but I think that's one of the things that makes it so great, right? Because it is a, you know, a non-traditional relationship that you actually have showcased or at least hinted at or able to be read into on the show and i think that's one of the the strengths of farscape as a show is it has this diversity of relationships across characters and even if they aren't actually sleeping with each other you still have that that power dynamic i guess because isn't that's a lot of what some of the bdsm sex play is about is about the power dynamics and you clearly have that going on between scorpius and braca who is his most loyal lieutenant mm-hmm yeah yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's just the diversity of relationships. Because we've already talked about how Farscape really does sci-fi different, I think, than a lot of sci-fi we've seen in recent years. Like, I'm thinking of, like, Firefly and Battlestar Galactica, where, like, the sci-fi was more, like, gritty and, like, human-centric. What is interesting here is that we do get, like, a diversity of different species just in terms of their creature shop, and we get a diversity of different cultures, and then here again, yeah, a diversity of different relationships. We get to see Mm -hmm. different kinds of ways of being. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, what, Killjoys and Dark Matter are the two most recent, and The Expanse, I guess, are the three most recent new sci-fi shows. I haven't watched all of all of them yet, but even those are very human-centric, the Expanse is obviously set in our own solar system. Killjoys is set on with human populations, and so is Dark Matter. So, so it still centers the human experience. And even though you do have a, a somewhat diverse set of relationships that are coming out, the what I love about Farscape is the alienness of some of the of the ones we get to see of the aliens themselves. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Just, yeah, it's just different. And like. We like all of these shows. Like, we name drop them because we have watched all of them. (laughs) Yeah. But at the same time, Farscape just feels different. You know, it has, like, a different flavor. Mm -hmm. So then again, as Bracca is leaving, we see the Bird of Paradise again in Scorpy's Scorpy's quarters. And he goes and he touches it. And I think, like, for him, it represents a lot. I think there's a lot in that flower. (laughs) Yeah. And it is kind of like his quarters are very spare and so it feels like this is like the one memento that he's taken and that has he has kept with him is like this flower from his parents basically grave the grave of his sebation half i don't know how that comes out yeah really it's about remembering his mother and where he came from yeah and and through his mother his like whole driving force of revenge and mm-hmm. so on so the b plot starts with 
Dargo essentially confronting John again because John has Moya flying around in circles. And Moya apparently doesn't mind <laughs> because Pilot's like she loves flying free. But you can tell that even Pilot is kind of like bored and does not want to yeah. continue doing this. And then Dargo comes up and he's like, if you don't give Chiana and Jewel a chance to go on land, they're going to kill each other and then I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the b plot is uh john searching for wormholes and just kind of this little bit of a fallout from linfer the, the pilot who shows up she finds moya she finds them she's searching for them and she's like i've solved the the phase problem and i'm not liquefied and it's all great but really it's kind of this domestic scene of like john being obsessed with wormholes everyone else going stir crazy from cabin fever when Lynch first shows up, she is of a species that Pilot and Moya trust implicitly. And it's never explained why. They're just like, oh, we like her species. She, of course she can come aboard, even though the rest of them are like, what? That's a prowler. Are you crazy? Mm-hmm. And the punchline of this is that she she says, I will give you, John Crichton, the wormhole phase, phase fixer-upper so you don't liquefy. And in exchange, I will take Moya. Which the implication that John and all and Dargo and Chiana and Jewel can all go home or have wormholes to travel wherever they want. And I want to play the next scene where the crew is talking about this. Talking might be generous because it kind of embodies just the dynamic that's been going on with them uh, from the cabin fever and the frustration with just being bored, being trapped, and all of that playing out. I hate to break it to you guys, but Moya and Pilot are for it. Sounds more like they aren't against it. That's not the same thing. You're actually considering handing Moya over to a stranger? A stranger who works with Scorpius. She ditched Scorpius. Claims she did. I believe that part. There you go. It's this deep space explorer drone I don't believe. I I think she just wants Moya so she can put some Starburst in between her and Scorpius. Even if we were to agree... Which we don't. What happens to us? With wormhole tech, we can drop you anywhere you want to go. Home, if you want. That's if you can get it to work. We're going to test it first, and until it works, all Linfer gets is a guest room. Just what we need, another guest. Didn't you come on board as a guest? That's the point. We're all guests here, and if Moya wants to go with Can you stop pretending this is anything other than your idea? This is exactly the attitude that got Zan killed. That's low. Bad. Dargo. Leave him alone. Leave me alone. Terrific. This is what we're arguing about? The chance to stay cooped up together? You know, if I was Moya, I wouldn't want us here. Ouch. Yeah. So you could just hear the bickering, and no one wants to agree with anyone else, and, you know, Dargo, you know, jumps on John about Zan because, oh, the wormhole stuff is exactly what got Zan killed. And I love Chiana's little, oh, great, when John says he can go home. Because, of course, she doesn't want to go home. She ran away from her planet, mm-hmm. right? And, like, they're all guests on Moya. And then, I don't know, it's just this this tension of people who have been stuck together too long without anything to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that this episode really does feel like a continuation of losing time. And and the fact that we've had two episodes now that literally start with Dargo being like, we need to stop. We need to go for, you know, we need to go for a planet break. <laughs> it really does feel like John is becoming increasingly consumed with the mm-hmm. wormhole thing. Do you think it's fair, though, calling out Zan in this moment? 
I'm of the opinion that the whole situation with Zan was not fully John's fault. Like, he didn't mean to run into the Pathfinders. That was a bad accident that happened. He was not, like, actively having them stay. He was just saying, let's get readings while we're here, while we continue on, right? Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I'm also very defensive of John in this situation. But I think it's Dargo being frustrated with John's obsession with the wormholes, you know? And it's like, we're sitting out here for 15 days and then, and there's an earlier scene, uh, the one you mentioned, where Dargo's like, go get some sleep. And John's like, okay, I'll go get some sleep. Pilot, wake me up if you see anything. And Dargo, after John leaves, says, Pilot, don't wake him up for 12 hours. Like, he mm-hmm. hasn't been sleeping. He, they're all short-tempered. Chiana and Jewel don't get along. They're fighting. Dargo has probably been playing police person with them. Yeah. You know, it's it's just a very tense situation. It feels like they haven't had anything to do they haven't had any adventures they haven't had any week-to-week activity like you know the monster of the week episodes that's usually how we see them but it actually feels like we're seeing them in the downtime between that mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah like this is what builds up between them visiting a planet and getting into trouble yeah yeah i think that the weird thing is is this doesn't even feel though much different from other episodes we've seen them bickering in like uh, crackers don't matter or the beginning of crackers don't matter. Not the obviously this is very different from the end. Crackers <laughs> don't matter. But, you know, episodes like that where it's just kind of people that you've been living with for a really long time and you're kind of bickering with, you know, and I think the difference maybe between the Moya crew and like real roommates is number one, none of them chose to be here. This was not really a choice for any of them. And yet they're all stuck here. They don't have that option of going to a friend's house for a night. They don't have an option of a hotel, you know? They don't even have the option of talking to anybody else. Like, there is no one else to talk to. It is just the, what, six of them, if you count Moya and Pilot. It is a really, really small place. And even with Moya being as big as she is, she's not that big, you know? Yeah. I think what is underdeveloped here is the fact that I think Pilot and Moya do want to do deep space exploration. Mm -hmm. That for them, this whole searching for wormholes and planet hopping, this they like doing it because they like their crew, but it also isn't really their jam, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, it's one thing when Linfer makes her offer to Pilot is, you know, let's go into the deep space away from from all the populated planets. And Pilot says that's a dream of ours. Mm -hmm. So she's like offering them the opportunity of a lifetime to go to Venezuela and study the canopy of the forest or, you know, whatever, you know, it's like scientific research or dream travel vacation or, or that kind of thing where it's like, they never thought they would get it. They were prisoners of the peacekeepers for a long time, but they had this dream Mm -hmm. and that's, that's kind of what's on offer for the two of them. Yeah. So what ends up happening is it turns out that all the Linfer's shielding did was delay the problem. So Jewel brings her her food and she's like, well, we're still talking about your offer, although we're not really talking. We're just arguing. And then it turns out that Linfer is still melting. And it turns out that all the shielding did was temporarily delay it. So Jewel and Pilot let Linfer out. And Linfer goes and commits suicide in her in her prowler. It explodes. It explodes. And John is like really, really upset. And he's like, "You, how did you just let her out? And he's really mad. And Pilot's like, 
again, nobody is a prisoner here on Moya. And then Jewel kind of is, and then Jewel actually does point out, she's like, how come you're only on Pilot's side when he's saying something you agree with? And he's like, oh, that's crap. And she's like, the truth is never crap. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you make of that statement? Because I was thinking about it and it's like, is it true that John only agrees with Pilot when he's, when they're on the same side? And or supports him and his decisions, or I don't know, or is it something like a recent development, or or what? Because I was trying to kind of parse that, and I'm not sure how to how to take it entirely. Hmm. I think that in this case it's true, because mm-hmm. in this case, part of the thing they're all calling him out on is the fact that he is a little over eager to give in to Moya. Yeah, it's what Moya wants. But he's also not really questioning Linfer's motives. Linfer's kind of like, well, I'm afraid Scorpius is going to kill me. And John's like, okay, sounds legit, you know? <laughs> and, like, even as as an audience, we aren't really sh- ever sure if Linfer is telling 100% of the truth, you know? Yeah, I remember when I watched this for the first time and being very suspicious of her the whole, th- the whole way through. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's me too, weirdly enough. I think it's because I remember the deep space thing for some reason. But mm-hmm. I think that in this case, it is true. But I also think that that's how 90% of people are, is you're on somebody's side when they're on your side. <laughs> and then when they're not on your side, you're kind of like, wait, but no. And I don't know. I, I, I do think it is fair, though, because John is kind of couching this on like, well, Moya and Pilot want to go deep space exploring. Yeah. And then yeah. Jewel is like, okay, so you're on their side when they want to do the thing that gives you wormhole knowledge. But when he's letting somebody who is dying commit like a non-gross death, because the implication <laughs> is literally that Linfer is going to very, very slowly liquefy. Right. You know? Right. And it's, it makes sense that she would want to go out and commit suicide and explosion rather than live through that until her organ failure happens. Yeah, exactly. You know? So I think it is fair. And I think that okay. John realizes it's fair because his next reaction is to go out <laughs> and get very, very drunk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the end of it all, he goes to the center chamber and is drinking. And I'm going to play his conversation with Dargo. And one other thing to point out before I do that, though, is... Linfer is actually the one who brings the news that Scorpius is alive. Because if you remember at the end of Daimi Dichotomy, Krace and Talon were chasing the pod or the or the ship that had Krace or Scorpius and Bracket in it, and they thought they destroyed it, but it was really they destroyed the pilot and and Bracca and Scorpius were safely hidden somewhere else on the on the planet. And so the whole crew this entire time has thought that Scorpius is dead. And Linfer is the one who brings the knowledge that that Scorpius is alive. So here's John and Dargo at the end. If you are here to give me another lecture, go away. Well, if you are going to be as sour as an unmated flibisk, I will go away. The hell's a flibisk? A flibisk. A flugus is a... Uh, ten-legged creature about this big, very tasty and prepared right, but if you prevent it from mating, it gets very disagreeable. Hell, who doesn't? You ever think we've been on this boat way too long? Constantly. But so far, all the other alternatives have been worse. Well... Here's to that changing. You know, Scorpy's still out there. 
He's working on the wormhole tech, and he's a lot further along than I am. He hasn't found it yet. And Linfer was wrong. But Linfer found us. And if she can, Scorpy can. It just sounds so ominous at the end there, where Scorpius could find us if she found us. They thought they were safe from him, that he was dead, but no, he has come back like a bad penny and is now menacing them again. And now with the wormhole tech even that much closer to being where it was at the end of season two. Yeah. Yeah. And Dargo's comment about every other, every other option being worse, I think it kind of gets at, at my whole thing earlier about roommates, where they're all here, yeah, because they're a found family, you know? And I think that, you know, I think that if it had come down and they were like, oh, the wormhole tech works, there still would have been a, a whole discussion about we're not giving up Moya because this is our family kind of thing. But at the same time, they are all still there because they don't have other options, you know? Right, right. And I do like this moment between Dargo and John. Like, they've been fighting all episode. They've been bickering at each other. And here they are kind of letting it go, even though John says, don't lecture me. <laughs> Dargo calling him out on being an in, like, acting like a, a unmated flizbisk. And I think I kind of like that reference because it's like a jab at John not having Aaron there with him. <laughs> like this is a John that is obsessed with wormholes because Aaron's not there to be the object of his obsession. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it is like and it is a good, you know, they're still friends line, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what would you give this episode? I would give this episode, I don't know, three and a half, three, something mm -hmm. like that. It's solid. I like that we get Scorpius's backstory. And I guess I had one last question for you. You know, are you more sympathetic towards Scorpius having seen this episode? No, I'm less sympathetic. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm because, because essentially this whole episode is like, don't you feel sad for Scorpius? He was tortured as a kid. And then I'm like, yeah, but then he grew up to torture other people. Like, I'll, I know, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like, I don't really feel bad for him because I feel like he's kind of couching his entire redemption arc on like, I'm going to, I'm going to show them, I'm going to get wormhole knowledge and I'm going to save the Sebations. And I'm like, but at what cost? You know, yeah, because this isn't yeah. he isn't like I'm going to save the Sebations by, I don't know, becoming a great military strategist and using peacekeeper soldiers who've signed up for this to wipe out the Scarens. He's like, I'm going to do this by being evil, cutting up people's brains, torturing people, killing Sebations. And I don't know. It just I, I guess know what saying, you mean. I, I guess saying feeling like I feel less sympathy for him isn't that isn't necessarily true I think I just feel neutral about him you know what I mean yeah. I'm like interesting backstory you know what it is this is the <laughs> Brooklyn Nine-Nine quote yeah. of <laughs> cool story bro still murder <laughs> yeah yeah that's kind of how I feel about it too because it's like the serial killer thing also like mm. I watch a ton of criminal minds but you know, it's like people had tragic backstories in all of those episodes and they went on to kill lots of people kind of thing. And it's like the actions that you take now are still your responsibility. And even though you are shaped by your childhood and yeah, that sucks, that doesn't 
negate the responsibility you have to not do those things again to other people. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. So what would you give this episode? Yeah, I'd say like a three, maybe like a three and a half if I was feeling generous. I think that it is not by any stretch of the imagination a bad episode. But I also think that like the the B plot wasn't that good. Um, The B plot was just kind of there. And like I said, you know, it was kind of like cool story. Um, but I don't still think, murder. Yeah, still murder. <laughs> doesn't really change my opinion of Scorpius that much. So, yeah, I do like that we get more about him because mm-hmm. he is such a central character to the show, and understanding where he's coming from, I think, does add a little bit of depth to him. Yeah, and I think okay, this is what I was actually thinking about right now is I think finding out what he did in between escaping and coming in contact with the command carrier. I think that that would have been a really good story, you know, Mm. because I think that this was the other thing is like 90% of this episode is watching a scare and torture Scorpius, or at least it feels like if you're not wrong, you know? And so maybe I'm a little bit like John Crichton where I'm like, okay, this is awful. (laughs) What else? You know? Yeah. Wardrobe watch. We see Scorpius without his suit. It's, Mm -hmm kind of gross yep but it does make him look very helpless and victim victim like mm-hmm. um jewel is wearing her new outfit that i think she changed into in losing time that mm-hmm. has like the basically it's a tank top or or midriff cut off tank top her hair is up in a i don't know it's not quite a ponytail but it's up a little bit mm-hmm. and she's wearing a, a long slitted skirt and everyone else is pretty much what they've been wearing. Yeah, John has like his long coat in the um in the memory. Right, he's in his season two outfit. Let's see. So next week we have overheated. No, that's not the name of the meltdown. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> this episode should have been called overheated. Next week we have meltdown, which takes us back to Talon and the John Crichton that is with the radiant Aaron son. Yep, and others. <laughs> And others. <laughs> oh, you know, and Grace all the Talon, rest. Oh, man. Stark, Rigel. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you would like to get in contact with us, we are Farscape Friday Podcast at Gmail, Tumblr, and Dreamwith. We are Farscape Friday on Twitter. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>